University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Well, April 18th is 29 days away. That's 29 days until tax day. Is there anything more universal uh, in its ability to give everyone a headache than tax season? It's that feeling uh, that hangs over you for weeks as you're asking yourself, do I owe more taxes this year or am I getting a refund? And if I owe, how much do I owe? Ministers' taxes are probably the most convoluted thing you could ever anticipate. There's the federal income tax and self-employment tax and tracking every single mile in expenditure. And it makes me want to eat Tums like candy for about two months until I file everything. Worry, especially around taxes, is something I wish I could be done with. I don't know about you. We're in this season in the church calendar in which we have the opportunity to be done with certain things. It's called Lent, and typically most people take 40 days off of something to draw closer to God. And while giving up some things for a period of time is meaningful for our spiritual formation, what's fascinating is that Jesus has an invitation to something radically different. In the Gospels, Jesus uses this phrase that we must lose our life in order to save it. We're in this series done. While giving up our life saves it. We're examining these critical teachings of Jesus to understand exactly what that means and what he's calling us to be done with in our life. For this, we take a look at the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down with the disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus took up and saw the great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Our passage starts like many of the stories in the Gospels where Jesus encounters people in need, meeting their needs, whether it be sickness or conflict or persecution from religious people, as we read in last week's text, the demon possess or, or death. And here we find Jesus, so often in the Gospels, healing the infirmities of people's lives, whether it be physical or psychological or social or spiritual. But a new problem has arisen as Jesus amasses this crowd. It's something that all of y'all are going to be feeling about 1125 if I'm still running my mouth. It's called being hangry. There's a difference between hunger and hanger. It's a difference between I'm slightly hungry and now I'm starting to get really irritated because I'm super hungry. And as we, we face this, we also recognize the reality of human life within the scriptures, that there's real people facing real problems. Here's this huge crowd that's hanging on every single word of Jesus, but it's getting late, and they don't have the resources for the group. Can you just feel the anxiety of the moment? Anxiety exists even way back in the ancient lives, and certainly exists within our lives today. 
Fear and anxiety helps our early ancestors survive very real threats. And thank goodness that our ancient forebears had the natural inclination to think twice before petting that friendly Tyrannosaurus Rex. Except for the village idiot, uh, he didn't. But there is some stress in our world and today, and we can spend hours and hours talking about all the many things that cause anxiety in our lives. And not just the things that happen every single day, but we live in a world that amplifies our anxiety with political division and fear-mongering from cable news outlets and global warming and civil unrest and cultural tensions. And then in our own lives, there are things that stress us out. If you're a parent, that anxiety starts from the time you find out you're having a baby, even past when your children begin to have children of their own. Work and relationships, financial decisions, career changes, friendship troubles, health, fitness, medical struggles, the health and well-being of your family, the list goes on and on of the many things in our life that can cause anxiety. And when we all experience worry and anxiety in our life in varying degree, it's a, it's a space in which we feel disappointment and loss and discouragement and tragedy and setback and frustration. The, the inexplicable gambit of anxiety comes from broken friendships, unexpected death, medical diagnosis, injustice, job loss, inner emotional turmoil, loneliness, and, and the hidden tide of depression and so much more. A study in 2017 found that more than 8 million American adults suffer from serious psychological distress, whether it be stress or anxiety or depression. We all have worry in our life, and sometimes that worry can amplify into something much more. I can personally relate to this on so many levels and experiences. Take, for example, the first few months after the pandemic started. Within a few days, UBC's leadership needed to make big decisions, including and not limited to canceling in-person worship at the beginning of the stay-at-home order, figuring out how we were going to live stream the worship experience to all worship members, training and equipping Sunday school and spiritual formation leaders on how to do this thing called Zoom, shut down our Mother's Day Out program, make the challenging financial decision of where, whether we were going to continue to pay our MDO staff despite the fact that we weren't receiving over $40,000 in tuition from families. The anxiety of not knowing if this financial decision to care for our people was going to end up putting the MDO in the financial death spiral of no return. Cease and desist of a nearly six-month strategic growth initiative in which over 90% of our congregation was diligently working together for the future of our church. Minister to and the personal and vocational anxiety of our staff, stress of whether or not this was going to contribute to our church resources drying up and us letting staff go or losing my job too. And all this on top of my own personal stress of family and caring for the future of those that I love. So yes, I don't know about you, but worry and anxiety has deep side effects in our lives. And the effects of anxiety and worry is not just psychological, it's also physiological and spiritual. You ever battled with those what-ifs? What if this happens? What if this doesn't happen? What if they do this? What if I... The anxiety and worry, we become so fixated in our minds, distracting us from what's happening in the present. Anxiety builds this tension within our soul. Who cares about biting fingernails and anxiety when you get sleepless nights, headaches, muscle tension, nausea, shortness of breath, chest pain, heart palpitations, stomach ulcers, and other severe stress-related illnesses? Our anxiety is quite possibly eating us 
from the inside out. And those that have experienced it on a deep level know exactly what I'm talking about. And then this is just the beginning of the many difficult things that people face that dive into things like really severe mental health struggles. And believing in and following Jesus does not fix the very real challenges of mental health. Just pray and it will change is not a message in the Bible when it comes to mental health issues. In the Gospels, Jesus encountered people facing deep and often unnoticed pain of mental health struggles. And as Jesus encountered these people with compassion and desires to bring healing into their lives, so too we see the very real suffering that requires professional guidance. And while prayer is an integral part of our lives, God also equips and empowers others to care for us as we're facing the kind of suffering that we face that might need more than just conversation and medication and care. And like too, like Jesus, too, the church needs to broaden its understanding and ability to care for people and the stigma around mental health. So on some level, all of us can agree with the anxiety of this moment. And it says this in verse 8. Another one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? You know what's funny about worry is that it only takes a spark of faith to combat its tide. In the midst of the disciples' worry of how they were going to fulfill what Jesus was asking of them, in this little grumbling of stomachs of this crowd that had amassed to hear Jesus and to see him perform miracles, one of the twelve, Andrew, finds a little boy with five loaves of bread and two small fish. This was as much of a, a, an odd end story as you can find within the Gospels because we need to have a clear understanding of what this boy had. He is not lugging around, you know, French bread and two big mahi-mahis. <laughs> He's got his small little snack, his small little lunch pail for the day. And Andrew, the disciple, had a small spark of faith that Jesus could do something with this. And really, that's sometimes all that you need to combat the tide of worry in our lives. There are so many reasons to believe that this will not turn out the way we want, that something bad is going to happen, that this will not be enough, that we will do not have what it takes, that, that hope has been lost here. There's always going to be those voices in and around us that fuel the fire of anxiety and worry within our lives. But sometimes it's the smallest and often faint and often undeniable, ridiculous nature of a voice that says, maybe not. Maybe this will go right. Maybe you do have what it takes. Maybe goodness will prevail. Maybe these things shall pass. Maybe God can do something here. Jesus alludes to this in the gospel and other stories. Remember he tells that parable of a small mustard seed and a little bit of yeast? He says, what shall I compare the kingdom to? It's like, it's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. What can I care, compare the kingdom of God like? It's effective and powerful and irrepressible mixed into the lives of people it will grow and expand transforming the very nature of those who believe small things can make a great impact in the kingdom around us and within us and do you sense this small spark of faith in the midst of your worry it says this in verse 10 
Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. This is nothing short of a miracle. And let this be a powerful lesson to us. In the face of our worry, God turns nothing into abundance. Can you imagine the look on the disciples' faces as they came by to get their basket filled to take around to the people? It's not every day that five loaves of bread and two fish are divided up to feed 5,000 men. Did you note that? It just said men, which means they weren't counting the women and the children in the group. Some biblical scholars have estimated they fed up to 20,000 people that day. Did you know that this is only one of Jesus' miracles that's reported in all four Gospels? That should tell us something significant. It, it tells us that this was a significant moment in Jesus' ministry, in the formation of the disciples, and in the lives of people who were impacted by this miracle. And it should be no surprise because this entire story began with Jesus taking the scarcity of sickness in people's that they were dealing with, and he began to heal them, turning their life into abundance. But this is the nature of God, to express compassion for us, especially when we need it the most. The people were hungry, so Jesus provided. And God didn't just provide. John tells us that they were satisfied and there were leftovers. Ain't nothing better than taking a to-go plate after a good meal. But when you put this into the context of other moments in Jesus' ministry— we see how often God's compassion pours over us in our time of scarcity and anxiety and worry. The sick are healed. The possessed are set free. The social outcasts are welcome. The rigid of self-righteous religiosity is softened with grace. The blind are made to see. The dead are raised. The imprisoned are set free. The hungry are fed. John writes, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of the heavenly light, who does not change like sifting shadows. He chooses to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be kind of a first fruits of all he has created. In the face of our worry, God turns nothing into abundance. And we might be thinking, especially if you're in the midst of a very difficult time right now, where is the miracle meal and to go plate in my life. And just a few verses from now, Jesus will encounter this very same crowd. In fact, he had withdrawn to, withdrawn to rest and to refresh his soul, and so powerfully pouring out to the basic needs of the people, and the people came back to him wanting even more. Here's where Jesus utters one of the most famous phrases, in which he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. All the Father gives me comes to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. These people have just experienced not only the powerful miracle of Jesus feeding quite possibly 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, then he witnesses them healing the sick, and yet there they are just hours later after this extraordinary event with empty bellies and anxious-filled souls. In the Gospels, Jesus calls his followers to not worry about what they will eat and drink and sleep and wear. 
because God desires to provide for such things. He calls them to not store up treasures on earth because those things will fade away. Instead, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Ask, seek, and knock, and the door will be open, and God will answer and give and open to you what you need in that time. So think about the natural things that God provides for you. My goodness, we have air in our lungs. We have the finest clothes that we can possibly imagine to buy just up the street. Not everyone can, can move and, and function in the way that our bodies move and function as we came in here this morning. Reach to the person next to you, grab their shoulder, reach out and touch their hand, give them a hug. We have this thing called community. You see, when you stop and think about it, God gives us the practical and existential blessings we need in our life. Now consider the deep and abundant ways God has blessed you, beyond just the, the simple things I've spoken about this morning. God shows us compassion through providing, not always in the way that we want, but in the way that we need. God desires to bless us in ways that we do not expect or deserve, and I'm still blown away that God has provided for my family, my needs. God will provide for us in the way that we need it, not always in the way that we want it. What leftovers, what basket full of blessings do you need to realize you have in your life? Might it be that we often inflate what we need in life versus what we want? Might it be that we see a problem or conflict and opportunity in the way that we live each day and we're so overwhelmed by the anxiety of the moment that we can't recognize how God is providing for us right then and there? Did you notice that Jesus didn't snap his fingers and five loaves of bread and two fish appeared out of nowhere. No, he asked the disciples to look around them to see what was at hand to provide for the needs of the people. God is asking us to see what's at hand, what resources and assets and gifts and connections and networks and opportunities and experience and wisdom and so on do we have. And are we willing to believe that God can take these things stuff that might seem insignificant and small, and believe that profound things can happen in and through us. And if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, if we let a little yeast mix into the dough of our life, through faith we can receive God's provisions. Someone had to say, you know what, this is my lunch, but Jesus can use it for whatever he needs. Are we willing to step out in faith and give that over to God? The last thing I want us to see from this text is so important. We should understand that the complexities of our anxiety is that a life of faith does not mean that we are set free from problems and stress and anxiety. Jesus didn't say to the disciples, well, follow me, and life is going to be so easy. He did say, though, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Jesus, we see the many paradoxes of life, that while life will always have stress and worry and anxiety, it does not mean that we cannot be grounded through confidence in God and find peace in the midst of uncertainty. Through Jesus, we can discover what true peace 
looks like in the face of worry and anxiety. Through Jesus, we can discover tranquil peace for ourselves and find acceptance for who we are, where we've been, our uniqueness, and discover love. Through Jesus, we find peace with each person within our faith community. We recognize that together, we might have the wholeness of what we need for this moment and this place and time. Through Jesus, we find peace within our relationships, within our families, our spouses, our friendships, our neighborhoods, our co-workers, our strangers and enemies. We embrace the reconciliation of mercy and grace and acceptance through true completeness in our lives and through the community. All this comes through faith and just a small amount. As one author put it, the peace we are offered is not a peace that is free from tragedy, illness, bankruptcy, divorce, depression, or heartache. It's a peace rooted in trust that life in Jesus gives us deeper, wider, stronger, and more enduring than whatever the current circumstances are, because all we see is not all that there is. And the last word about us and our struggle has not yet been spoken. And so this morning, we are invited through Christ to be done with worry in our lives. We are created by a God who's not distant in the cosmos, seated on a throne. Instead, it is a God who is present in our lives, equipping us to face whatever comes our way. This morning, in an act of faith, we come to the Lord's table. It's a table in which we are reminded that we cannot do all things unto ourselves. It's a table that reminds us that Jesus came and walked and dwelled among us, showing us the way. And yet, we couldn't believe it enough that we had the guy killed. And yet, through the power of God, he was resurrected from the dead. And so we come to the Lord's table this morning, recognizing we need God's abiding presence in our life. We need Christ in our life. But it's also an act of community. We come to this table not as individuals, but we come as a community of faith, recognizing that we need each other. And together, through faith in Christ, we can make it through this life. And so as you feel led this morning, we invite you to come to the table of the Lord. Um, Logistically, what that looks like is, if you're sitting on this half of the sanctuary, we invite you to come down this aisle here, and we'll give you um, the elements. If you're sitting on this half here in the balcony, we invite you to come down this side and exit out the side. Center your hearts on God, and as you feel led, come to the Lord's table together.